Christina Raya, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking It, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work get seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are continuing our Representation Matters miniseries with the founder of the Trans Film Center, writer and filmmaker Sav Rogers. Before we dive in, remember we release bonus content for each and every episode of this podcast over on Breaking Out Pod, patreon.com slash breaking out pod, a URL I've said a lot and really shouldn't be stumbling over. So if you want to support us and and get me some reading comprehension classes, uh, also to get yourself some more info and resources, definitely head to patreon.com slash breaking out pod. But enough about my inability to read things that I read truly so often. Hello, Sav. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to y'all. I know we've, you know, interacted a lot over the years at various film festivals and through Seed and Spark. So I'm stoked to uh, be here on your show. Yeah, absolutely. To to make it all official to for all of us to become best friends. So in the interest <laughs> of that, Sav, please introduce yourself and what you make. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, my name is Sav Rogers. I am a filmmaker. I do a lot of comedy in terms of writing these days and got a documentary called Chasing Chasing Amy that'll be out in early 2023. Nice. Very exciting. Uh, so when you introduce yourself like at film festivals, what what is your title that you give yourself? Because like most indie filmmakers, I assume you're a multi-hyphenate. Yeah, I usually just say filmmaker. You know, I, I do what it takes to get the job done, but I really love the collaborative process. You know, to break it down, I primarily direct my own projects. I write them and I also produce them just as by virtue of the, the kinds of work that I'm interested in and what I end up doing on most projects. Sure. Cool. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so now, could you tell us a little bit more about the Trans Film Center? Yeah, the Trans Film Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to connecting trans-made films with audiences around the world. Basically, what that means is trans people are a very small portion of the population. And in 2021, the stat was that 80% of people didn't feel like they personally knew a trans person. I think it was 2021. This year, uh, the, the stat has changed dramatically. We're now in the 40 percentile range. I didn't look this up before I came on the pod. I should have. But there was a Pew Research survey in the, 40, in the 40th percentile of people feel like they now know a trans person in real life. However, for the rest of the population, everything that they know about trans people comes from media in some way. Uh, TV, movies, TikTok, YouTube, podcasts, right? We're also in a time where there's a lot of misinformation and quite frankly, disinformation about trans people, who we are, what we do, what we care about, et cetera, et cetera, right? Trans Film Center comes in where we try to help trans people have authorship um, over their own stories. So how we do that is we provide money through grant funds. We also have pipeline programs with places like Warner Brothers Discovery. And we also program films around uh, at film festivals and in various other places. But basically, that's our mission, connecting trans-made films with audiences around the world and giving some autonomy back to trans creatives, because the biggest barrier between any creative and their projects succeeding is typically money. So if we can provide money and resources and institutional support, that is a lot more than trans people have had in the past historically as it pertains to the entertainment industry. And so we launched in November 2020. And we've been doing some good work, I think. You know, we're we're a small organization, five volunteer board members. But what we've been able to accomplish so far uh, has been really, really uh, exciting. And so I'm really excited to see how we grow as we're able to get more money 
and be able to give that money back out to trans creatives so that they can go make the projects of their dreams. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks. So launching a nonprofit in November 2020, I bet was super easy. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about how the actual like organization came together? Because I am always fascinated by creatives who go beyond just like advocating for themselves, but actually mm-hmm. create structure around supporting the people around them. So let's nerd out for a little bit. Tell us about that process. Sure thing. I mean, I'm I'm a guy that's that's very. I mean, I work very hard, but I'm also very lucky. Uh, I mentioned earlier I have a documentary coming out early next year called Chasing Chasing Amy. And so since 2018, I'd basically been on that journey of trying to get the movie made, trying to get it off the ground, trying to do interviews, trying to meet people, trying to. And I was able to get a lot of support from a lot of different people. And I was very, very fortunate in that sense. However, March 2020 rolls around, COVID-19 pandemic spreads across the United States and the world. Um, everything shuts down. Some funding options shut down. Like I saw major grant funds stop giving money. And I was like, filmmakers need your support more now than ever. I, I just couldn't believe that places were completely shutting down. Places with like multi-million dollar budgets in terms of nonprofits. And I was just, I was shocked. And so, you know, uh, with the start of the pandemic uh, came a lot of introspection. You know, I'm a pretty introspective guy as is, but, you know, I was thinking a lot about what I wish existed, what I wished was different, what I wished uh, was around when I was coming out as trans. And so that's where the idea for the Transgender Film Center really came in. And so I had mentioned the idea to some festival organizer friends and I was like, hey, like, I've got this idea. I think this could be a good idea in a few years. I don't know if I know how to do this right now. And they were like, yeah, you do. Just go do it. <laughs> like, we, people need this right now. It would be a great moment to show support for trans creatives. And so I reached out to four uh, trusted friends and colleagues and asked them if they would like to participate in the inaugural board. Uh, Savannah Ward, who is a TV writer, Ange Cruz, who I met at the Outset Fellowship with Savannah. Uh, Sammy Figueredo, who was in my TED residency class um, and a terrific public speaker, gave a great TED talk on trans history. It was the first trans guy that I knew up close and personal and could and was like a possibility model of like, oh, you can be yourself and it's fine. And then Jason Tostevin, who runs the Nightmares Film Festival and has 20 years of corporate experience and been a terrific mentor and really um, invaluable in helping steer the organization. So we got together, did a press release in Variety, announced our grant fund. Uh, selected some winners, and uh, that's kind of where we got started. We've been able to to go from there. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks. I cannot even imagine the amount of work that that must have been. So we'll definitely <laughs> circle back to, to some of the various great works that the Trans Film Center is up to. But I want to take it back to something that you mentioned, actually, when you were talking about like the, the idea for this nonprofit and about mm-hmm. how, you know, somewhere in the 40th percentile of people say that they don't know a, a trans person in real life and how it you know most of the information that they get about that community comes through media all of the their knowledge of that community comes through media and so i'm curious for you do you remember the first time you saw yourself in media on screen and do you remember and feel comfortable telling us about what kind of experience that was cuz it's not always positive unfortunately you know it's interesting i mean like 
chasing Amy is the thing that I always go back to in terms of the first time I felt like I existed Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like a clean cut kind of thing. Like, you know, Alyssa Jones's sexuality in that movie, it's fluidity. I I identified with that, but I also really identified with Holden, who was the protagonist of that movie. You know, this guy who was a deep romantic and there was just something about it that really resonated with me even before I understood all that it meant for me. Um, and so that movie was a, was a huge lifeline to me. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to be able to make this documentary about Chasing Amy, you know, and Chasing Amy is not everybody's favorite movie and that's fine, but it really did something for me at a pretty crucial time in my life. And I'm very lucky to have seen it when I saw it, which was age 12, um, which my mom doesn't like when I bring up, but now it's just a matter of public record at this point. (laughs) It's canon. That's the canon Sav Rogers story. (laughs) I, I'm looking up this Pew Research thing to make sure that I am uh, I am correct. <laughs> we have the and, right stats. Yeah, I want to I want to be sure. Um, so I'm I'm looking that up while we're chatting, but I want to be sure that I'm giving the right stat to your loyal listeners. And we will also share some resources uh, about a variety of of um, you know trans and media, trans uh, actors and media, trans writers and media kind of resources, and make sure that everyone's aware of what's going on. Oh, okay, I've got it pulled up right now. In 2020. The stat jumped to 42% of US adults now know somebody who is transgender. Now, that was a, that's a pretty big leap from what the last stat was. And I think that stat mm-hmm. came from the National Center for Trans Equality. I, I could be wrong there, too. Uh, moral of the story do your own research, look at like the stats. Mm-hmm. But any stat you look at right now, it's pretty abysmal for trans people. And so that's where the work of the Trans Film Center really comes in, is trying to give trans people resources to go tell their own stories so that they have a say in how they are represented broadly, because it does affect our lives and how people treat us, which, if you've read the news lately, is bad. Yeah, yeah. I and I and I think that that's something that we definitely want to talk about here, because I think that it's it's easy for someone in a very privileged, non-marginalized identity to sit here and be thinking, well, I mean, how much does it matter? Like Chasing Amy, I don't think anyone is going to sit here and pretend is like a perfect film with perfect, you know, progressive ideals. But if that could have such a, a meaningful impact on someone who has turned around and done such wonderful things with that knowledge, then, well, does it really matter who's behind the camera? Does it really matter who's writing? So maybe could you tell us a little bit more about like the ethos and the importance of people whose stories are being told being a part of the telling of those stories as well. 100%. And I completely hear what you're saying on Chasing Amy. I mean, you know, for anybody who hates that movie, my my little grenade that I love to throw into a conversation is like, well, if Kevin didn't make that movie, and if Guinevere Turner didn't make Go Fish, that ultimately influenced that movie being made, you know, I'm not around. I'm not making movies. And you know, maybe somebody will see Chasing, Chasing Amy and they're like, yeah, I wish you weren't making movies. But like, I <laughs> am I'm ultimately a queer transgender man who is alive because I saw that movie at a pretty crucial point in my life. And that is an inarguable fact, right? And I think that, you know, now we know things that we didn't know before. You know, I am I'm very much somebody who wants as many people having authorship over their own stories, because I think it does lead to a more authentic viewing experience for the people who need those stories. For me, Chasing Amy is still my favorite movie, but I'm very much looking forward to, you know, my other favorite movies that are going to come out. 
you know, I, I look at, I, you know, you look at something like Fire Island by Andrew Ahn. I absolutely loved that movie. Uh, Straight Up by James Sweeney. Anything Guinevere Turner has ever touched. Like, I love those movies and treasure those. But Chasing Amy means something like really special, right? I think I lost the plot on what your the second part of your question was. No, it's though, okay. Right? And I actually I want to pick up that thread though because I think that that's an important aspect that gets lost a lot in like certainly online queer discourse. That like if it's not a perfect paragon of a piece of media, then like everyone who likes it is as problematic as the media itself. And I find that to be a really frustrating situation to set us up with because like nothing is perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly I think about this a lot and how. I mean, I'm as soon as I don't have to be on the internet anymore, I would love to just quit all social media genuinely. Um, Honestly, (laughs) yes. And (laughs) it is immensely frustrating to watch discourse kind of unfold in a lot of things. Like, first of all, when people talk about cancel culture, what they're talking about is people facing the 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 consequences of their actions in an immediate way that did not used to exist before social media right and it's loud and it feels bad and shame feels bad but that's not really there's no ultimately for a lot of those people a lot of those very like powerful people who are the topic of discourse like that it's it's not that's not cancel culture cancel culture all you know if we want to talk about who actually faces consequences for public shaming it's almost always marginalized people without power mm-hmm. who find themselves in those situations. You know, uh, people. You know, working class people who lose their jobs because of something. Right. Anyway, that's that's a whole tangent. But the the idea that movies and their job is to preach ideological purity is completely asinine. <laughs> like it just that's not the world we live in. That's not what movies are for. Right. I very much reject any kind of puritanism i think it's bad i think life really exists in this gray area where multiple truths exist at once like chasing amy saved my life there are a lot of lesbians who also dislike chasing amy and there are a lot of bi people who love chasing amy or bi people who hate chasing amy and it doesn't really matter what it matters is like how it affects you and how you receive it like movies are an empathetic experience where you get to walk in somebody else's shoes for a minute you know, I'll just keep using Chasing Amy as an example. If you want to look at Chasing Amy as like a positive, that movie is about a straight cisgender guy whose queer friends ultimately change his life, right? Is that the movie that Kevin Smith set out to tell? No, he was telling the story of him and Joey Lauren Adams and the complications of their breakup. But there are multiple ways to view something. And that version of the movie is what I saw, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and I also felt like the heartfelt love story there. So this idea that like a, a, a character's action is inherently problematic and that's like the worst thing. It's like, what do you think conflict is? What do you think a story is? You have to have conflict. You have to have people who aren't perfect. And and also like, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Like, you know, like fuck these like fascists who are making like conservative yeah. propaganda yeah. to punch down at the little guy. Like that's not what I'm talking about. And so like, but I feel like there are all of these people who are just incredibly dishonest and they're like, well, this is problematic for X, Y, and Z. And it's like, again, do you understand what telling a story is? Like if everybody was perfect, that would be really, really boring. That's not what the purpose of this is at all. It's an opportunity for you to get outside yourself and your ego and experience how somebody else might live for 90 minutes to three hours, right? I mean, movies are just getting longer now, but 
that's it. Mm-hmm. That's my little tangent. No, I, I love I think it's an yeah. important tangent to have, especially around the conversation of representation, especially yeah. around the conversation of representing a group of people who 42% of Americans, uh, only 42% of Americans actually know in real life. And, you know, the stats from there of maybe they know one person or they have one family, distant family member, makes that even harder of a, of a statistic to really hold on to. But I also think that I... I acknowledge and respect the side of the argument about mm-hmm. like when there is so little representation, there is a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Whether that pressure is valid at all is a completely different conversation that I think we'll all right. agree on. But the pressure is there nonetheless. Well, and who faces the consequences though for there being so mm-hmm. little representation? Who's the who are the people that don't get to make their next movie? Who are the people that right. don't get to be in an who don't have the opportunity to do their jobs if there, somebody takes a risk on them? And then it doesn't pan out financially, or there's immense backlash because something wasn't perfect. I mean, I, I just, I would dare to challenge people to be a little more compassionate because, like, representation is important. But we're at this incredible nexus point where a lot of things are happening all at once. And there's a microscope on absolutely everything. We, we have this new technology with social media and this mass communication. And we don't even know how to use it effectively yet we're in like you know mm-hmm. the how long did the telephone exist before smartphones came around <laughs> like you know what i mean right and yeah. so i would just i would just dare to ask people to be a little compassionate to the marginalized creators on the other side of that or anybody who makes a mistake and earnestly doesn't want to hurt people mm-hmm. yeah no i i saw a quote once i think it was from neil gaiman about how like something he made back in the day he wouldn't make it now but he's glad he made it then maybe it wasn't neil gaiman but it was somebody i yeah. was talking about like a piece of media from back in the day and it's like that's such a good way of thinking about it because so right. many of the things that i love and that spoke to me and that like shaped me as a, a person are <laughs> looking back not maybe the things that yeah. i would recommend full-throatedly <laughs> now but it doesn't mean yeah. and it doesn't lessen the impact that they had on me at the time and as mm-hmm. long as we as a society as a community move forward and continue to move forward. I don't think there's anything wrong with nostalgically looking back upon things that aren't perfect, but that still were important to have been made. Right. Sometimes for their imperfections. Their imperfections are what allowed people to iterate on them, to chase chasing Amy later, and to continue right. making art that is thoughtful and meaningful. You, you know, my, my wife and I, we watch a lot of TV, and we'll, you know, we'll watch a TV show and it'll be like an older show and then something deeply transphobic like pops up and we're like oh. yeah and it's like if i got upset every time there was something horrible about trans people in a tv show or a movie i probably wouldn't get to enjoy that much right <laughs> if we're looking like at, at something in the past that's historical right so it's so that's why it's another reason to do the transform center where it's like all right i'm not going to let this ruin my night i like this sucks but I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep watching the things and not let this get to me because I have no control over it. But then it's like, okay, how can we do better now? And that's funding trans people, trans creators, any marginalized community, the people who are incredible storytellers, but they haven't gotten their shot yet. Like, 
how do we go support them? Yeah, I think that's important. So when you're talking to like incoming cohorts for your grant programs, when you're talking to other trans creators about navigating a deeply toxic industry for anyone, let alone if you're marginalized and frequently the butt of jokes rather than the writer of them, what are you talking to these incoming cohorts about? Like what what is the advice that you're giving them for navigating a world where unfortunately art is not always the highest priority? It's a great question. I mean, ultimately, like, this is kind of like a giant game, because you're constantly having to jump through hoops to be able to like, do your job, right? <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's a weird yeah. business model. It's not a it's not great for the financiers. It's not great for the studios. It's not great for the streamers. It's not great for the creators. Everything is a giant risk all the time. Everybody feels that pressure. And so I just I try to tell them learn what the game is. <laughs> like, if you know the rules, you can either subvert them or exceed people's expectation. You know, I, I try to instill in anybody who runs through a TFC program or, you know, benefits from us in some small way, like try to try to <laughs> see what the system actually is. And then you'll be able to like carve your own path. And also that there's no like you don't have to start as a production assistant or like a like a studio assistant. Like there are so many different paths in, but it, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure game in that way. Also, like it's also not for everybody. Like it's it's very hard if you can't like there, there's that quote of like, if you can do something else, do it. I'm always just like, this is not going to be easy because a lot, you know, a lot more about transness than a lot of the people in the rooms that you're going to walk into. You know, we are here to support you. I am here to support you. Um, people on our advancement council are here to support you, but you are it's an uphill battle. And I think right now the exciting thing is that there are so many great people coming through our pipelines where it's like, Oh, you know, like they, they're, they're willing to, to, to challenge, you know, the people who in the rooms that they walk into, they're, uh, you know, working on their professionalization skills, right. They're learning kind of what the decorum is in whatever room that they go into. And they're also really working on their voice and their point of view, most importantly. So that they know, okay, this is my lane, this is what I want to do, or I'm figuring out what I want to do, and this is the path I'm going to take to try to get there. So that's really what I try to instill in them. But I mean, most of these people like who come through these programs, like they're rock stars already. They don't need me that much. They just need me to make the intro, and they're good to go. If they want mentorship, they ask for it, and I give it to them. But most of them, they're ready to go already. That's such like a bittersweet quote, because like... <laughs> Man, is it kind of a bummer when you talk about like absolute rock stars and all they need is a an introduction or a connection. And how yeah. many people are there like that in so many communities who just don't have that one opportunity because they don't look like the guys who are doing the hiring. Right. <sighs> right. Yeah. And, and there's an incredible intersection of people from all different communities who come through our programs, which is great. You know, trans women, trans men, non-binary people, people who identify with other labels in terms of the broad gender spectrum that there is. You know, they come from different communities, different cities, um, you know, different races, uh, ethnicities, religions. It's really amazing to see, like, that there is space for everybody in these programs and to, to have a, a even just a tiny you know, impact on steering it so that they can succeed. Like it is really gratifying. It's a lot of work, but it's like, it's, it's like, okay, cool. This is, this needed to exist. It did not exist before. Now, now it's here and that's great. That's wonderful. Uh, So, so let's 
talk uh, a little bit about like the current status of trans representation in media, both in front of and behind the camera. What what can you tell us about like what does that look like right now? Sure. What are things that are going well? What are things that are not going well beyond just that there aren't enough trans people <laughs> in front of and behind the camera? Yeah, I mean, the great thing is that there are more trans people on TV than ever and, and represented well. I believe the stat as of the South by Southwest panel we did earlier this year was that 92% of those characters, though, are in dramas, right? So mm-hmm. that's really exciting. We're making big breakthroughs in TV. But also, where are trans people in comedies? Uh, trans people deserve to be laughed with, not laughed at necessarily. You know, and so the opportunity for trans people to be funny and not pitied is huge. And that's something that we really push for at TFC. That is something that my you know friends at GLAAD uh, also advocate for. There are a lot of people who are trying to get trans people into comedies and, and trans people to make comedies, right? Or have the chance to produce their deeply funny scripts, right? So there's a script that my writing partner, Taylor Gates, and I wrote uh, called I Love You, Margot Robbie. We were very lucky to have it on the GLAAD list this year. Effectively, the GLAAD list is uh, a list uh, from the blacklist and also GLAAD of the top unproduced LGBTQ screenplays and pilots, right? So our script, I Love You. Thank you. But it's a, it's a daffy comedy starring a trans boy and his imaginary friend, Margot Robbie. That's my dream movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to be trans to relate to it because it's a teenage boy who is going through the typical teenage boy things, but he's othered because he is trans in his small suburban community, right? And so, but that's not a, an unrelatable story. And so that's really where my point of view comes in is I like, I like trans joy. I like queer joy. I want to have fun making these movies. I don't want trans people to be pitied. I want trans people to be able to enjoy themselves and have fun and to be able to fall in love with them and not just feel bad for them. That's like a major red flag when I'm watching a movie and I see like a trans person and their whole thing is like, Oh, don't you feel bad for them? <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, yeah. we are, I think all of us are so much more than the worst things that have ever happened to us or the way that we are treated by society. And so that's, that's really where I like to come in with that. Um, so that's something that I've been noticing on the, the in front of the camera side. Behind the camera, you know, I see a lot of people who are making good efforts to get trans people, you know, in positions below the line and above the line. However, you know, does anything ever move fast enough in this business? <laughs> like, I mean, definitely not behind the scenes. Right. And so, I mean, that's where TFC kind of comes in again is like we are actively planning initiatives to try to remedy this, but we are one organization and we cannot do it alone. And I certainly cannot do anything alone. Right. And so having allies on the studio side, on the streamer side, um, on the production company side, on the buyer and seller side, like all of those things are really important. Putting trans people in executive positions, putting trans people in the positions of like getting their scripts read and then also like letting them direct those scripts because it's like, you know, so often when you're trying to get something made at like a studio level, it's like, okay, well, we'll take a chance on the script, but like, you know, we're not going to cha- take you a chance. You don't get to be on- in charge of anything. Yeah. No. And it's like, let's, let's let trans people tell their own stories. If they're, if, if you believe in their voice, right. You know, so it, it's, I often see this with like women directors where it's like, 
where it's like, uh, oh, we want to support women storytellers. And then I'll see a screenplay written by women. And then it's like directed by a dude who's done 87 projects similar in tone, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, I know everything's a risk, but it's like, invest in the people, invest in the people. Um, that's a life-changing opportunity for them. Um, and if you're surrounding them with the right people, that they might just succeed. And I know it's easy for me to say that, uh, like as a filmmaker, <laughs> but I really do think that something's got to give at some point. And I think that we are poised to see like a, a major studio director who's trans other than the Wachowskis, right? Like I'm excited for that day. Um, and I'm excited for that day for a lot of marginalized communities, whether you're black or Latin or Asian or gay or, I mean, I mean, they're gay directors, but you know what I mean? Like whatever community mm-hmm. you're a part of, like, I think there are major opportunities right now because people are looking for our stories and, and making a concerted effort to do so. Not everybody is. And that change never happens fast enough, but I am excited and optimistic for the future of this. That's wonderful. That's, I mean, the optimism is always good to hear. I do want to rewind really quickly because something you said at the very beginning of your answer, um, I wanted to dig into a second. You you mentioned that we're seeing more trans characters than ever, especially on television, which is excellent. And then you said good representation on television. So um, can you dig into that a little bit? What does it mean to you for something to be good representation? Obviously, with the, you know, asterisk acknowledgement, nothing is perfect. (laughs) We're no, no part of this is us saying, ah, these things are perfect and we'll never have anything to say against them. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's subjective. I mean, for me, it's like, I think good representation in front of the camera means casting trans people uh, in trans roles appropriately. Like, you know, so I think that for me, it's it's pushing a conversation forward. So it's like, you know, I don't know if trans best friend is necessarily like the move. You know, I'm not interested in that. I'm the protagonist in my story. I'm not the best friend in somebody else's. Yeah. And just like, where's the fun? Like, not like, again, not everything needs to be such a drag (laughs) all the time. Um, And so, again, it's like not being pitied. That is like a a big red flag for me watching uh, movies or TV with trans characters. If I am pitying them constantly because, oh, look at the poor little trans who doesn't have a personality other than being sad, like, that's a bummer. But if somebody has a rich inner life, like, that rocks. That's really exciting for me to see. Like um, Josie Toda on Saved by the Bell. She's the bully. Mm -hmm. She's hilarious. Yeah. She has incredible comic timing. I love that. That was great representation to me because it did something different. It dared to kind of go outside the expectations of the audience, subvert them and make them fun. You know, there's a great joke in one of the first like three episodes of season one or something. And it was uh, talking about how that character had a mini series kind of like I am Kate kind of making fun of like rich trans people (laughs) of privilege who don't really care about other people necessarily. (laughs) You know, like I thought Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was a great joke. I thought it was subversive. And also, like, showing that trans people can laugh is very, very important. There is this, we have this reputation for being extremely thin-skinned, and I'm like, I don't laugh with other people more than I laugh with other trans people, besides my wife, I guess. She's cisgender. But, like, you have to have a sense of humor to survive. What we don't love is Mm -hmm. people framing transphobic rhetoric as a joke, and it's like, if it was a joke, we would have (laughs) laughed. Like... Nobody loves a pronoun joke, a good pronoun joke, more than trans people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it, but and a lot of it's subjective, but um, like Sam, I think his name is Sam Merrill made a hilarious joke about uh, tr- a transgender woman swimming. It was, a, it was like a Leah Thomas joke, but it was about this dude who suddenly cared about uh, women swimming for the first time in his life. Right. And the joke is all about that. Every beat of that part of the special is just like absolutely perfect. Like some of the funniest stand up I've seen in a long time let alone a funny trans joke like just be funny and we'll laugh and allow us to be part of it because we got jokes too we're ready mm-hmm. do you have any other recommendations for for people wanting to fill up their watch list oh gosh i don't get to watch I know, much the worst lately. thing you can do to ask to do is to ask a filmmaker what they're watching yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean because i've been just so knee deep in post on chasing chasing amy i haven't had a minute to watch anything uh, i'm pulling up my letterbox as we're talking what about <laughs> um let's see Anything good let me see let uh you know what um tie it back into chasing chasing amy i saw clerks three and i cried my mm-hmm. fucking eyes out i don't want to say anything but if you okay. care at all about Kevin Smith movies, I think this is his most personal work in a long time. And I really like Jane Silent Bob reboot, but I think it's his best movie since Dogma. And so I, I really enjoyed that. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Fosse since I finished Fosse Burden. There were some great shorts at uh, Outfest that I really loved. Um, one called Perennial from this filmmaker, uh, Naomi Cubero, who I'm just obsessed with. She's amazing. She's a trans filmmaker. Um, who just graduated from NYU and she made this incredibly touching, beautiful movie called Perennial. And it's like a it's like a dual coming of age story between a trans woman and her 13 year old student who gets her period for the first time. And it's just it's very touching and wonderful. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. Just doesn't come to mind immediately, I guess. <laughs> no, that, that, yeah. that's totally fair. Oh, and uh, stay on board. Stay on board the Leo Baker story on Netflix. I highly recommend everybody watch that. That is the the closest depiction I've ever seen to on screen of like what my own masculinity uh, journey felt like. I was just like, wow, I feel perceived, and I don't know if I like it or not. But <laughs> just a Absolutely. I'm in this photo movie. and I don't like it. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of things we don't like, I think that we would be remiss to not have the conversation about the on-screen aspect of all of this and the troubling history of cis character actors and cis actors taking trans roles and maybe not considering the ramifications of that. So without having to necessarily invoke anyone if we don't want to specifically name anybody, uh, or we can, that's fine. I just don't want to bring up the names if we don't have to um uh sav can you tell us a little bit about like why it's not just a matter of hey more people should be representing themselves on screen and it it goes deeper than that why does representation matter so much when and a good actor is a good actor right well first of all i do want to say that uh, i am not somebody who thinks that you have to be gay to play a gay character uh but i do think that we should prioritize out LGBTQ people in terms of these roles, because it's less of a performance, you know, it's more deeply felt, but I'm not somebody who's like, oh, a straight actor playing a gay role, that's ridiculous. And I say that because I think a lot of people think that being gay and being trans are the same thing, and they are not. Mm -hmm. I have come out as queer, I've come out as trans, they were very different experiences. And the way that people treat you is very, is very different, right? So, let me start by saying, I think Jen Richards says this best in the documentary Disclosure, which you can also watch on Netflix, where she talks about basically when a, I'll specifically use the example that she uses. 
seeing uh, a famous cisgender guy playing a trans woman reinforces this that it reinforces this idea to audiences that trans women are men in dresses which is not true and that directly leads to violence against trans women because then you have uh straight cisgender men who find themselves attracted to trans women but they've received this messaging that oh well i'm actually gay and i don't like that and oftentimes when uh straight cisgender men feel like people think that they're gay or that they're being perceived that way they get violent and oftentimes what that ends up doing is ending in the the brutality against or murder of trans women which is completely unacceptable and so it's not like this theoretical thing like of like oh well this could hurt trans people it, it does it does and so i'm not interested in indicting anybody who's played a trans character in the past if they're cisgender you know i think we we certainly know better now and know that that's not acceptable so let's knock it off <laughs> and let's cast trans people to play trans people and also like cast trans people in gen non-gender specific roles you know if there's a funny shopkeeper that could be a trans person if you know if there's a dog walker that could be a trans person. I mean, like, just look at the scene breakdown. Does it say woman? Does it say man? Does it say non-binary person? Find the appropriate person. Um, trans men are men, trans women are women. You know, it's not overly difficult. But oftentimes representation is a matter of life and death, specifically for trans people and more specifically for trans women and more specifically for trans women of color. The, the stats on the murders of trans people are horrifying. We have Trans Day of Remembrance every year in November to mourn them their lives. And again, this is not theoretical for trans people. This results in real harm. So please don't do it. Please cast a trans person. If you don't feel like you know a trans actor, there are places you can reach out to, right? Go to GLAAD. Go to the Transform Center. I might not have an actor offhand, but I can refer you to people who might. No, I, I think that that's a great place to to really ruminate on here because like when we have conversations about the phrase representation matters, when we add that hashtag, you know, it, it's easy to think that it's a yeah, it's it's silly. You know, it's easy to think that this is just just a thing that people care about when you know they're beyond their hunter gatherer days and like we need to fill our days with something so we may as well fill it with this but like there is so much more to the conversation than that like uh, this episode's not coming out for a couple of, of months but right now the thing in the news is all of the tiktok reaction videos of uh little black and brown girls watching the little mermaid trailer for the yeah. first time and how excited they are to see a princess, a live action princess who looks like them and how much joy that that is bringing and how low of a freaking bar that is <laughs> that there's one movie right now that's that's creating all of this joy. So just imagine if one movie can create all of this. Imagine what two or three movies imagine what giving more opportunities to people who can tell different kinds of stories could mean. Right. I mean, and yeah. I, I feel like there's a misconception that we're just demanding all movies be for us all the time. Like, right. I think we we all have to, and I, when I say all, I mean the people who complain about <laughs> there being a Black Mermaid in The Little Mermaid. Not everything is for you, and that's fine. Not mm -hmm. everything is designed with you in mind. And not everything should be designed with you in mind. That's a part of that empathetic movie-going experience. 
how many times do marginalized audiences have to sympathize with a, a white dude in his 20s who's figuring shit out, right? Like, well, that's the thing, right? Is that like the just because something isn't made with you in mind doesn't mean that you can't find something in it. Like, are you right. telling me that when you watch with you a adult man, because that's all that's mad is like mostly adult men or adult women. Like, are you telling me that when you watch the original Little Mermaid, you're like, ah, oh, thank God she's white. Like, and that's what you're focusing on. Like, don't get out of here. <laughs> like, we all know that this is something else. It's yeah. so fucking dishonest and, and asinine. Like the idea the idea that anybody's actually upset about this they're just there's a bunch of fucking racists out there and they need to keep mm-hmm. their mouths shut truly unacceptable unacceptable behavior from these people i will say though my favorite reaction video to this little mermaid stuff i don't know if y'all saw it it was, it's this white girl sitting on the couch and she's like watching the trailer and she's very quiet the whole time and then she turns to her mom in the most southern accent imaginable and she's like is that just me or, or was that whitney houston oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. it's like it's this like four-year-old girl i'm like how do you know who whitney houston is <laughs> oh my god it is the sweetest oh boy funniest reaction. <laughs> and i'm like i i mean she must be rocking out to uh uh, so right, emotional or something in the car. Right. She yeah. must be ro- rocking out to <laughs> dance with somebody in the car. I love that. Um, oh, that's funny. But yeah, but again, not everything's designed with you in mind. It's not designed with me in mind. I sit at a weird intersection being a white trans guy where I'm like, I relate to a lot of this. I also don't relate to a lot of this. Right. Like if I'm looking for representation, mm-hmm. most of the time I can find it in some ways. But an essential part of myself is my experience with gender. And so I want to push as much as possible to have great trans stories on screen, whether or not I'm directing them, or I'm supporting them from the Trans Film Center, or I'm not involved at all. And I just see great people doing great things. And that's really exciting that we're at this time uh, where we can find community so easily. That's the great thing about the internet, as much as I was complaining about it earlier. We can find community, <laughs> we can find our people, we can make movies together, or we can just support each other. And that's the and that's the beautiful thing right now is like I'm meeting so many incredible trans filmmakers, actors, creatives, just people with a voice. And I'm so excited to see them use it as this industry ideally becomes more welcoming and does not align themselves with the fascists who want us dead (laughs) honestly i mean obviously that is the 100 percent goal here and so i'm curious for you as we start to zoom out again before we we get back to talking about you and and the cool stuff that you're personally doing um as we wrap up this conversation about representation matters about getting more marginalized storytellers into the position to tell their own stories and to represent their own stories like what are the things that like are really exciting to you what's making you optimistic right now can you loan us some of your optimism because boy howdy is it not looking great out there sometimes no uh, it is not looking great for the most part but the the optimism i find comes through other people seeing people who are really excited people who have a voice people with a cool point of view people who just want to help like there are in my work at the trans film center i am very lucky to come across a lot of people who just want to help whether they're donating money or they're a studio that wants to leverage their name to work with us or a streamer that wants to work with us or people who come through our programs or applying for grants it is incredibly 
exciting to see like what's possible there. So my faith, I'm an extrovert. I love people. I love being around people. You caught me on a day where I'm a little tired um, because I got an agency (laughs) job now and I'm, I'm very sleepy. But I really get my energy from other people. And so that's where my all my optimism comes from, is seeing how they see the world, seeing how my collaborators see the things that we're working on. Even if I'm exhausted and I, you know, I want to quit for the day or something, like being around that energy makes me excited. And there are just so many incredible people out there. I mean, I'll name drop some. Uh, Alex Schmitter. Um, is my like producing partner. He fucking rocks. Like he got nominated for an Emmy for changing the game. He made that documentary and that documentary came out in 2019. It's about trans high school athletes, a conversation that we're very much having now. And we were having then, but it's a lot more blown up now. Uh, it came out in on Hulu in 2021, got nominated for an Emmy for that. I mean, isn't that just like fucking incredible? That was his first movie as a producer yeah i mean angelica ross is i don't know her but i admire her um she's starring as roxy hart on broadway in chicago i mean that's first openly trans woman to lead a broadway musical i mean just that's incredible yeah i'm I'm at a loss for the listeners at home sav just did a chef's kiss uh yes Exactly. Important that I transcribe this for our listening audience. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I want to be inclusive. Let's see, Brian Michael Smith on uh, 911 Lone Star. I mean, a trans black firefighter doing cool mm-hmm. shit every week on network television. Come on. That's cool. <laughs> like, he gets to do cool shit every week uh, for a very broad audience. And now all those people who didn't know it felt like they didn't know a trans person before they feel like they know paul and that makes a fundamental difference i could go on but it'll be a very very long list uh, go support <laughs> framing agnes in movie theaters um that's a great movie you know go check out the trans filmmakers who are at outfest this year or any filmmaker who is at outfest this year there are just so many amazing people doing work. So that's where I find my energy. Yeah, I would say going to a queer film festival is uh, going to a film festival in general, uh, but definitely queer film festivals right now is is very rejuvenating for the soul. I have found mm-hmm. certainly since the pandemic, because yuck, guys, just yuck. <laughs> so so what is uh, upcoming? What what are, what are you working on right now? What what's coming down the pipeline? What what cool stuff's on the horizon? Well, I feel like every waking moment of my day. Um, that's not at my agency job because I got to pay bills is dedicated to Chasing Chasing Amy right now. So Chasing Chasing Amy is in post-production. We're hoping to premiere early 2023. Um, We'll see if that happens. Other than that, Taylor and I are writing new scripts together. I've got a solo feature that, you know, is out, you know, for pitches right now. I'm hoping that somebody will pay me to write it. Otherwise, I'll just go make it myself. You know, Trans Film Center stuff is going strong. We're, we're working on expanding our partnerships and being able to increase the amounts of money that we give out every year. So that's exciting. Amazing. And just a lot of writing, a lot of editing, and uh, a lot of uh, time manifesting the, the future that I want, I guess. <laughs> I love that. Well, so for folks who want to get involved with Trans Film Center and every cool thing that you guys do, uh, where should they go for that? If you would like to support the Transgender Film Center, please go to transfilmcenter.org. You are more than welcome to make a, a donation. If you are not able to give a donation or don't want to, um, go support some of the filmmakers that we support. Go see a movie directed by a trans person or written by a trans person. Go see movies starring trans people. Watch TV shows 
with trans people in them. Go to your local queer film festival and inquire about those filmmakers um, because they're going to blow up. And don't you want to be there early, everyone? (laughs) All right, cool. Well, Sav, thank you so much for being here and for for sharing your expertise and your passion and your optimism. It, It was sorely needed today. Yes. Very much so. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, appreciate you. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them and our guest are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs who are our $10 supporters on Patreon. That's Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kelsey Rauber, Norman Steinberg, and Brandy Nicole Payne. If you want your name on that list and or you want to have access to all of our bonus resources related to each and every podcast episode we post for free, you can subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month. Next episode, we discuss Women of Color Unite with founder and producer Cheryl Bedford. Be sure to tune in.